I think we all understand that temptation can lead us into trouble. Such was the plight of a man who was shopping in the mall with his wife. And we know right off the bat that this is not going to go well for the man. He's in a place he does not belong. Anyway, in the mall, the man noticed a shapely young woman in a short, form-fitting dress walking by. This man said that as she walked by, his eyes were glued to her. And without looking up from the item his wife was examining, she asked, Was it worth the trouble you are now in? <laughs> That's the trouble with temptation. If we are not careful, it can lead us into trouble. How many of us have shrugged and said, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Using that as an excuse when caught doing something we should not do. It's a convenient defense, but it's a lame defense. Because the devil can't make us do anything. The devil cannot make us sin. He cannot push us. He cannot push us. But he knows all too well how to persuade us. He's been doing that throughout the course of human history. He's an expert. And this morning, we are going to see Jesus take his turn with the devil. Now, if you recall from last week, Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And afterwards, the Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven in the likeness of a dove and rests upon him. Then a voice is heard. It's God the Father. And he declares his delight for his son. What an awesome experience that must have been for Jesus. It's a family reunion of the Trinity. And now, after living in obscurity for some 30 years, 
He's ready to dive into the public ministry. But not just yet. Not just yet. Because for Jesus, after the dove comes the devil. So welcome to the ministry. So with that, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4, and we will begin with verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And we are told, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. After his baptism, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the Judean wilderness to face the devil. Jesus is alone in this barren, desolate place. A place that is blazingly hot in the day and cold at night. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, he has fasted to the point of starvation. Jesus is beyond hungry. He's beyond hungry and physically drained. He's in a weakened state. And of course, the devil knows that his temptations are the strongest when we are the weakest. And now it's his time to turn up the heat. He took down, think about this, he took down Adam in the beautiful garden of Edom, Edom, where there was Plenty of everything, and here he's got Jesus in the terrible wastelands where there is absolutely nothing. And his plan is to take Jesus out before his ministry ever begins. Now before we continue, I want to talk a little bit about the devil's tactics I'm going to call them tactics when it comes to temptation. Whether it be in the Garden of Eden, in the wilderness with Jesus, or in our own lives in the here and now, the tactics, which can be packaged in various ways, are generally the same in nature. And if you remember, in the first letter from the Apostle John, these tactics were summarized as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. You remember that? 
In some form or fashion, these tactics have been used since the garden. They are tried and true, finely tuned and tailor-made, and the reason they are still being used by the devil is because they are still very effective. It's how the devil destroys man. It's how the devil destroys man, but this time... The devil is faced with Jesus. The God-man. The God-man. And what that means in this situation is this. Because this is important to clarify. What that means in this situation is this. While being fully God... Okay? While being fully God, Jesus cannot sin. And yet, while at the same time being fully man, he will experience the full force of the devil's temptations. The full force, the full brunt. And in doing so, Reveal to us who he is and also relate to us as to who we are. Okay? He will relate, he will reveal to us who he is, but also relate to us as we are. So Jesus understands our temptations. He will feel the full brunt of them. And at some point, at some point later in his earthly ministry, maybe while talking about temptation and sin, Jesus shares with his disciples what happened to him in the wilderness. That's how we learn about it. So with that, let's see what happened. Beginning with verse 3. Beginning with verse 3, Matthew tells us, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When the tempter came... Okay, when the tempter came, and just so you know, this might shock you, but just so you know, the devil is not omnipresent like God. 
He can only be in one place at one time. Meaning, like today, meaning the devil can't leave the Middle East to cause you to lose your temper at your spouse or to eat the donut you should not have had. You got that? You did that all by yourself. It's called the flesh. Again, the devil cannot make you do it. He can't. Anyway, the devil knows that Jesus is starving. He knows of the physical weakness of Jesus at this point. And if hunger is his weakness, then bread will be his tailor-made temptation. And so the devil says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now at first glance, it seems that the devil has some question as to who Jesus is. But he knows all too well that he is speaking to the Son of God. So this is not a question of doubt. Instead, the devil is trying to create doubt. Okay? In my opinion, in my opinion, using words we might be familiar with, This first temptation goes something like this. I'm paraphrasing, okay? Since you're the Son of God and you're starving, surely your life is at risk. It would seem that your father really doesn't care for you. I mean, he's obviously holding out on you. So why not use some of your divine power to help yourself out and just turn a few of these stones into bread. In so many words, words that we have may heard, may have heard whispered, the devil was suggesting that God cannot be trusted. Why are you suffering? 
Why is this happening to you? You don't deserve this. Why doesn't God do something? He's not going to help you. He can't be trusted. Just take matters into your own hands and use your power to meet your needs. This temptation falls under the lust of the flesh. Tempting Jesus to do what he should not do to satisfy a need. Tempting Jesus to meet a legitimate need. Right? A legitimate need in an illegitimate way. By misusing His divine power, and here's the rub, in distrust of his father. Well, Jesus had a response for the devil. And he replied, it is written. And that's something to take note of, church. It is written. It is written in Scripture. And it stands written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses was speaking to the Israelites about the lessons they should have learned regarding God's care for them in the wilderness for some 40 years. With that as the context, with that as the backdrop, Jesus responds this way to the devil. And again, I am paraphrasing. Devil, I am facing you as a man. But not as a defenseless man. For I am led by the Spirit of God and submitted to the Word of God. Yes, I am hungry. But I know this really isn't about bread. It's much more than that. This is about the life that God provides. No, I will not act independently of God. For me, it's his will. And it's his timing. And I will trust that by his 
power. He will sustain me. I will trust in him because I know he cares for me. Jesus was led into the wilderness and weakened. This was God's doing. This was God's doing. But Jesus trusted God and he knew there was a greater spiritual purpose behind his circumstances. He knew this. And Jesus would not misuse his divine powers in distrust of his Father in heaven. Instead, he fought this temptation. This is so important. He fought it as a man. He fought it as a man and used what is available to you and me. Can't miss that. So one down and two to go. Beginning with verse 5. The devil decides to tempt Jesus with a different tactic. And this time, since Jesus had previously quoted scripture, the devil will do the same. Implying, okay, okay, if you intend to live by the scriptures, then let me quote you a few lines to see if you will obey them. Okay? Verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, here we go, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stump. So we are told, That the devil takes Jesus into Jerusalem, the holy city, up to the pinnacle of the temple. And we'll talk about that in a moment. This is God's house of all places. This is God's house. To the pinnacle of the temple. And it's from this very high point That the devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Since you are God's son and you said you trust God, that's what you just said. 
since you said you trust God, jump. Jump. And then to add to his temptation, the devil quotes Scripture. And in this case, he quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. I got it up there as well. For he will guard his angels' charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now, I put what the devil said and what's really said in Psalms for comparison. Okay? It's for comparison. And if you noticed, the devil left a part out. Oh, oh, I'm sure it was a mistake. He left a part out. It's the part in the middle, which reads, to guard you in all your ways. In God's ways. God had a way prepared for Jesus, just as he does for us. And of course, the devil conveniently left that little piece out. Again, using words that might be familiar, we might be familiar with. This second temptation goes something like this. Jesus, Son of God, since You won't use your divine power to help yourself out. Let's see if God will use his power to help you out. Jesus, just a moment ago, just a moment ago, you claimed you could trust God. You claimed you could just, you could trust God. So, can you trust him now? If you really trust God and you believe what the scripture says, okay, if you really trust God, and you believe what the Bible says, then prove it. Prove it to me. Prove it to yourself. Prove it to him. So jump. With this temptation... The devil swings the pendulum. If you notice, he swings the pendulum in the other way. At first, 
The devil told Jesus he can't expect anything from God. But here the devil is saying just the opposite. Expect everything. So go ahead. And in an act of pride, in an act of pride, force God's hand. Force his hand. Force him to act on your behalf. Now maybe the devil hopes Jesus jumps. And if he does, demons will hinder angels from helping him will hinder the angels as we remember in our study of Daniel. Remember that? There was a war between the angels and demons. And Gabriel could not minister to Daniel because what? The demons were hindering Gabriel. So maybe the devil thinks that demons will hinder the angels from helping Jesus and splat Jesus dies. We know the devil wants Jesus dead. He's already tried to kill Jesus as a child through King Herod. And a jump from several hundred feet would probably do the trick. But I don't think that's what the devil is really hoping for. Instead, I think there's a subtle twist to this temptation, which I think is very interesting, and it also appeals even more so to pride. The pinnacle of the temple. If you can bring that slide up. <clears throat> the pinnacle of the temple. I'm thinking probably on the southwest corner. At the bottom would be the southeast. So from here going that way, that corner which will be the southwest corner overlooking the busiest roads and the entrances to the temple on both its southern and western sides, a place to easily attract a crowd would be a great opportunity to make a grand entrance and gain instant fame before his ministry even begins. Instant fame. If Jesus would have jumped and the angels came to his rescue, it would have surely caused 
a great spectacle. But in doing so, in sinful pride, in sinful pride, he would be bypassing God's plan for him. Well, Jesus responds to the devil in verse 7. And he says, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, take note. Jesus uses Scripture. He uses Scripture. This time, quoting from Deuteronomy again, but this time chapter 6. Another quote that comes from Moses to the people of Israel, warning them against their habit of presuming upon God and trying his patience. In other words, in other words, instead of cooperating with God, okay, instead of cooperating with God, in their sinful pride, they tried to manipulate him. Instead of cooperating, they're trying to manipulate him. So in a nutshell, Jesus says, I'm not going to put God to the test. Devil, what you propose as a simple leap of faith is actually a prideful jump to force God's hand. And that's manipulation. I don't need to prove that God is with me and that he cares for me. And I'm not going to seek instant fame apart from his plan. Instead, I will humbly submit to his will and his timing and will follow the way that God has set for me. I wonder how many foolish things we have done claiming it is an act of faith when in reality without any direction from God we are putting him to the test. I liken it to Playing in the freeway. Well, God's going to protect me. The only thing we're going to find in the freeway is your chalk outline. That's putting God to the test. That's presumption. And it's a sin. Okay. Two down and one to go. And let's continue beginning with verse 8, where Matthew tells us 
again? The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In this passage, we are told that Jesus, excuse the devil, takes Jesus to a very high mountain. I do not know what mountain that is or what it could be. have no idea. But wherever it is, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world at a moment in time. We're not told how this is done by the devil. have no idea. But maybe, I'm just guessing, it's through some sort of vision. Just a guess. Anyway, appealing to the lust of the eyes, showing him a vision, appealing to the lust of the eyes, the devil parades the glory and the splendor and the power of all the kingdoms of the world before Jesus. And then the devil essentially says, All that you see is mine. All that you see is mine. And if you will fall down and worship me, which is what I really want. It's what he's wanted all along, right? If you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all that you see. I mean, aren't you a king? Aren't you a king? Well, here's your kingdom. All that you want. Instantly. Instantly. Well, if you don't know, the kingdoms of this world belong to the devil. God allows him, God allows him to function in that capacity. And if you notice, Jesus does not argue that point. He does not argue that point. Initially, back in creation, the world was given to man. It was given to man. God told man what? To subdue it and to rule over it. Man was given dominion. Dominion. But when man fell in the garden, in some respects, the keys to the car were given to the devil. If only temporarily. And if you doubt that, just watch the evening news. So the devil 
tried to disguise this temptation with the lust of the eyes by appealing to the Lord's desire to establish a kingdom. And as a side note, just as a side note, in the future, the devil will give his kingdoms of the world to the Antichrist who will fall down and worship him. And the Antichrist will receive for a short time, for a short time, glory and power and fame. Now, there is something else about this temptation that makes it the most appealing of the three. And it's not by offering the kingdoms of the world. It's by offering them to Jesus instantly. Instantly. And in doing so, the devil was saying this. You don't have to go to the cross to get your promised kingdom. Why go through all of that? I'm offering you a better way. An easier way. A quicker way. Just fall down and worship me this one time. As the prince of this world, the devil offered Jesus a shortcut to his kingdom. That's what this is. The devil offered him a shortcut to his kingdom, a shortcut to glory minus the pain and the suffering. Jesus could have it all if he fell down and worshipped the devil. But Jesus knew there were no, no shortcuts when it came to the will of God. Jesus already knew he had a kingdom, a promised kingdom that would be his one day. And thank God, he knew that he was on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And that's why he came. And so he says, go, Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here Jesus calls the devil out by name, Satan, first time. Jesus begins with a command, go. And then Jesus gives the reason. Quoting again from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Only God you shall worship and serve. And if you notice, God ties worship with service. You see, he tied those together. For Jesus knows that whatever we worship, we will also serve. And he wasn't about to do neither when it came to the devil. Then in verse 11 we are told, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. The devil left, and the the angels showed up to care for Jesus. They had likely been there all along. Restrained from interfering, chomping at the bit, but restrained from interfering, but from a distance, watching as a weakened Jesus who put aside his divine powers without any angelic help defeated the devil. And in so doing, Jesus revealed who he is, the victorious king, and yet a king who also relates to you and me. Jesus wanted us to know this. Now listen. Temptation is going to happen. If you are breathing, you will be tempted. And these temptations will come in all shapes and sizes. They will come in all sorts of tantalizing packages, tailor-made just for you. But Jesus showed us that as a child of God, led by the Spirit of God and submitted to the Word of God, we can resist the devil and his temptations and he will flee. So, we will be engaged in daily battles. Daily. And victory in these battles are determined by our choices. Jesus just showed us, just showed us how we can have victory. But when we don't, but when we don't, and sometimes We won't. He lovingly picks us up, gently dusts us off, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, reminds us once again how to resist. And then we press on in hope.
knowing, knowing the final victory has already been won on our behalf. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. I thank you, Lord, for this specific passage related to temptation. And I thank you that Jesus showed us how to resist and actually had it recorded in your word. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that moment by moment, inch by inch, step by step, we would be filled with your spirit. And then, Lord God, we would bathe ourselves in your word. And Lord, as we go into battle, and I know we are behind enemy lines, this is the Lord's kingdom, this is Satan's kingdom, I know that you can give us victory. Lord, help us to cling to you. Give us a passion for you. Give us a desire for your word. And then, Lord, help us to walk. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'm going to take the gloves off. And I'm speaking to myself, too. When it comes to temptation. And I, and I liken it a lot to fishing. I used to love to fish. I'm not, I'm not good at it anymore, but I used to like to fish. So we are all fish. Humor
We see the worm dangling in front of us, and we see this nasty treble hook. It's sticking out on all sides. And still, we entertain. is very quick most of the time. And it's given to us for our protection. Not because he's trying to withhold from us. That's the temptation that he used on Eve. God doesn't want you to eat the apple. Obviously, God's withholding from you. Go ahead. You'll be just like him if you eat. What can happen? What can happen? This is sad. They had no rules. Except for one. Right? Just one. And still, they did. We're not there. Thank God he is gracious and merciful. And thank God we have a high priest. We have a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf before a God who sees absolutely everything. Nothing is hidden. He sees it all. And our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who understands what we go through, intercedes on our behalf. Thank God. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your great high priest. I would love to introduce you. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe it's something else. You just need some prayer. I would love to pray. How the Lord lead you this morning, I just ask that you respond to Him. He loves you more than you'll ever.